Welcome to this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts either through their industry insights and information or simply learning from them. This is the fourth part of the special series called the $35 trillion opportunity in the USA. To tell us more about this opportunity, that is the greatest wealth transfer in the history of the USA, let's go to the man who is watching this space as closely as possible to profit those who would want to profit from it. We are joined by David Walters, founder and CEO, Team Powered Consulting, directly from the USA. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, AJ. Pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Welcome. Uh, David, first of all, you know, we have done already three series and uh, three episodes of this series, and now this is the fourth one. So some people may be wondering why exactly we are doing this and what's the main purpose behind this. So just can you spell it out uh, for our audience? Okay. Well, let me let, let me step back a bit. Um, I think you probably want to know what motivates me for this. So um, I think in the first episode we mentioned that you know I started my career in the Royal Navy. I was a submarine officer. Um, I, you know, I, I had a, a real, a great job when I was the weapons engineer on HMS Opportune. Uh, we had a huge project. I, I took a boat into a 25-year-old submarine into refit. Two years later, she came out as a brand new submarine. And we actually had a, a war game against uh, Britain's latest and greatest nuclear attack submarine, a 48-hour war game. And we lost the war only by one shot, which for a you know, 28 year old submarine versus a brand new nuclear submarine, I was very pleased. And, and it, uh, it just shows that, you know, what you can do is when people know what they need to do and they put their mind to it, you can achieve great things. Um, and the, the, uh, the only reason I left the Royal Navy was because of the strain it was putting on my family. You know, I had, uh, I had two very young children. Uh, I was uh, I was living at a naval base that was about 200 miles away from where the submarine had been in refit. So every time I went home, my daughter, who was born at the end of the refit, would scream and not let me near her. Um, and every time I left home to go back to the base, my son would cling onto my leg, and I I literally had to shake him off my leg um, to uh, to be able to drive to the base. So I just felt that was putting too much strain on the family. So I left the Royal Navy. Uh, which was, I was disappointed. I was having a great time there. And, you know, I loved making things better. You know, I was always, I was always good at trying to find the best way to do business uh, in this case, in the submarines. Um, I joined the Canadian Navy. I think I mentioned that. We had a very different attitude between the British Navy and the Canadian Navy. So it turned out I wasn't a good fit there. So after that, I went into the nuclear power industry um, to work in the emergency management as the emergency management consultant. And again, I felt that I had, uh, you know, I was doing, a, I was giving a lot of value because I was helping them create systems and improve systems that were for the good of a lot of people. A lot of people benefited. So it was part of my, um, became part of my DNA that I really became very good at helping people get the best out of the, the business or the process or the systems they had. And af after 9-11, we actually, I was asked to head up a company to provide armed security inside nuclear power plants. First time it had ever been done in Canada. We were the only company in Canada that had that, um, uh, that had that license. And we created a company that went from nothing to $8 million in revenue in about 18 months. So again, and you know, we had a million dollar exit eight, uh, after 18 months, which was very, very commendable. 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, I made some mistakes in the structure of the business. So my, my business partner and I uh, fell out after we'd exited that, that project. And um, my wife at the time, she also got cancer. So we, we, figured, it, we figured it was time to go back to the UK. Um, so, you know, I've, I've always tried to put my family first and I'm always a, a big advocate that people, you know, family comes first, business is second, you know. Um, but when we returned to the UK, uh, I got involved in a charity and um, this was a charity that was doing work with military veterans. Uh, and we created a program for post-traumatic stress disorder that we actually had an 84% recovery rate. The people that came on our course um, were, after a three-day program, were no longer having flashbacks and ab reactions because of their military trauma. Uh, we had uh, Major General Robin Short, who was the head of the Army Medical Services, who'd recently retired from the military. He promoted us. We had pr presentations to the Defence Select Committee. And the government wouldn't touch it because it was, you know, it was not invented here. The government was in denial. And I always felt that was terribly unjust. You know, there were all these, all these soldiers and sailors and airmen who'd put their life on their line for the country. They had, you know, PTSD is a is a, is an injury. It's a it's an injury to the mind. Right. Um, but it, it should be you know, it should be treated just the same as a bullet wound or shrapnel or whatever else. But the government said they don't know what to do, they don't want to accept the liability. So they just brush it away. They deny they have a problem. Um, and, and it really just struck me as being terribly unjust that these, these men who put their life on their line and, and women, as, as you know, the more, more and more ladies joined the military, were not being treated by the government. They were not being treated fairly. They were just being abandoned. And uh, although we had a huge success rate, the government wouldn't fund us. And after three years, this charity, you know, I was basically operating as a, a personal charity we said we can't do this we can't carry on anymore we're not helping these guys because we're only we're not finishing the journey with them we're we're not giving them all the support they need so that was a, a, a pretty bitter time when we had to shut down that charity because there were so many people we knew we could have helped um after that i went in i went back into engineering in the corporate world um i got sent to america to run the division for the company i was with and, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of experience there on turning around um, underperforming units. So the unit that I took over initially had a, a net promoter score, an NPS of minus 25, which is really bad. Um, so, you know, we had to work. We had to work to improve that. Um, and then similarly, I got moved to another group uh, that had the uh, field service group had a very high non-conformance cost. They were they were running at 7% of sales, which you know, on a, on a $30 million product line, a 7% of sales, we were wasting $2 million a year of profit just on our day-to-day -day business. And, and when we, when the field service group was running at 10% margin, we were basically taking a huge liability, but working for free. That, it made no sense. But, you know, uh, in, in 14 months, I was able to reduce the non-conformance cost by over 50%. So again, it, it just, it just reinforced. I seem to have this, this natural desire, this natural ability to look at, look at systems that are ineffective and help people improve them. So I, uh, I got moved into the global excellence team for this, um, for this multinational corporation. I was working quite happily there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was, I was having a great time with that company. Unfortunately, my wife's health uh, didn't sort of go as well as it should have done. So we moved to Belize where she was more comfortable. Um, and then I was working, I was lucky that I could work remotely, uh, but unfortunately I had to make a, 
um, a pretty pretty significant decision um, whether to uh, keep her going in pain or allow her to be pain free. So uh, we moved back. I moved back from Belize on uh, what would have been my 29th wedding anniversary uh, as a as a new widow, a widower. So that again struck me as being a very painful time because for all the things we'd done to try and improve her health, we just could not get, you know, we could not get the, the treatment or we could not get the terms. So again, it just struck me as being so unjust, you know. So I, I seem to have developed this, this nature that I just want to um, fight injustice, if you like. And what I see now is with the with the $35 trillion opportunity, four and a half million companies where the business owner has put their life into their company are going to end up with zero value. Um, that's $10 trillion of value that these people have created, which is going to go to zero unless they learn how to exit their business properly. And that really just, that just really triggers my, my sense of injustice, you know? So I made it my commitment to, to really want to reach out and help these business owners you know, I've got the technical skill. I've clearly got the business skill from my experience in the corporate world. But it just struck me, you know, really as a gut punch. Uh, in fact, you know, I'll be very blunt. It, it pissed me off that when I see all these people who've put so much of themselves into their business but are facing uh, a zero value exit, that just struck me as being so incredibly unjust. It motivated me to set up the program that we're doing now and create, you know, what we've called Mission 895 to try and help 895 business owners learn how to maximize the value of their business and get a high value and, and you know and get the high value exit that they actually deserve so so that's what you know that's really what motivates me that's what's driving me and that's my desire now and this is why we created the program so it's it's you know it, it's my it, you know it's become my passion you know like it fills both my sense of injustice and also my sort of innate skill as a process optimization person. So, you know, by helping these business owners, if I, you know, if I, if I can't see that I can give a business owner a, a roadmap to get at least $150,000 of additional profit, I won't work with them because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving them the 10x value. I always want to give, uh, give anybody I work with, any of my clients, I want to give them at least as a minimum 10 times the value of what my services cost. So if I can't see a way of giving a business owner at least $150,000 of extra profit, I'm not gonna work with them because I'm, I'm not giving them all that I can. I'm not giving them all the value that I'd like to give them. So I created the eight week program. Initially I started as one-on-one -on -one consulting, but I realized that with that, there's no way I was gonna reach all the businesses I want to reach to help them. So I recreated the program as a group coaching program, which is now what we're offering, which is what I'm talking about. Um, and the way the program works is really to help the business owner understand where they are, where are they on their roadmap? What is that? What is the reality that they're facing? And the reality is they often don't even, they have an idea what their business may be worth, but they have absolutely no real understanding. So the first thing we do is give them an estimate as to, what their, what their business is worth or what their business would be valued at today without any additional work. We then show them the potential, you know, what they could, what they could potentially get 
if they went through the value maximization process. Um, we then give them, we give them the step-by-step -step process. We show them all of the steps they need to do to get to that high value exit. Um, we teach them, and, and you've, you've, we've mentioned this before, the predictable growth engine. We teach them what they need to do to implement this predictable growth engine that they can just use a system to double their revenue, to, you know, to increase the revenue, increase their spare cash flow so they can invest in these upgrades to improve the value of the business. We teach them how to make sure they don't have any bottlenecks, which will pre prevent growth by installing the business operating system. And then when they've got all that, we then we then show them they've got three. They've basically, they've got four options. Three of them are exit options. One of them is, uh, is, is not to exit. So the first exit option is to do nothing and go down that death spiral that we talked about and get zero value. Nobody would consciously make that option. It, it makes no sense. They, even, even if they just exited for an SDE valuation, they at least get something. You know, to just let the business value 10 to zero, nobody wins in that scenario. Now, what we do find in some cases is when people have got their business to be scalable, when they, um, when they have implemented the predictable growth engine, they've implemented the business operating system, the business runs much more efficiently. It runs much more smooth. They say, actually, I'm really enjoying the business now. I don't want to exit. I'm, I'm, you know, I've fallen in love with my business again because all those things that were irritating me and all those things that were frustrating me are now no longer here. So I want to I stay with my business. I want to keep working in the business. I know my opportunity for exit, but actually I don't want to go for exit just at this moment. Enough. And that's fine because we've given them value. We've shown them how to double the revenue of the business and how to how to manage the business in a much less stressful manner. The third option is, if you remember when we did the when we did the analysis, how we can 10x the value. That's the third option. So to just focus on internal optimization, but in doing that, they can achieve a 10x increase in their business value, and that's when they may choose to exit. Or the third option, sorry, the fourth option, the final option for the for the exit, the third exit would be to go for that high value vertical roll up when they're looking at getting over $10 million of revenue, over $2 million of uh, EBITDA. And that's when they're positioned for a P&E or a, a family office buyout. But those are the options. So now the business owner knows where they're starting from. They know what the potential is, whether it's a, 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 scalable, a scalable exit, uh, a, an internal optimization exit or a full roll up. They've got the options. They can make a decision as to what they want to do, and they have the roadmap how to do it. So this is, um, you know, this is what we give people. So I, I can't promise that a business owner is going to sell his business for ten times more um, than when he starts. It's up to the business owner to do the work. But what I can promise is that if they go through the program, they will have absolute clarity and absolute confidence that they know where they are today. Where that what their what their potential is and exactly what they need to do to get there. So so that's the program, and that's what we uh, that's what we do to to really give them that transformation from being. I know I'm going to have to leave. I know I'm going to have to exit. I need to retire. My wife's you know saying, what about a retirement? Can you fund our Can you fund our future? Can you provide for the children? Are you going to leave a legacy? You know all of these things that you know business owners as they come to the you know, come to the end of their career, start to think about and worry about. All of that anxiety, all of that concern goes away because they have a very clear roadmap. This is what I'm worth today. This is what I can be worth in two years or three years or five years, whatever their plan is. 
and this is how I get there. It's a proven process, and I know if I follow the plan, I will get a high-value exit. So we transform the business owner from uh, the business owner from one of anxiety and concern to one of confidence and optimism. And I think at, you know at the end of your business life, that's a nice way to finish, and that's what motivates me to help the business owners, you know, really get the value from that. And as I say, we. We, you know, I will not work with anybody that if I can't show them I can give them $150,000 of increased profit, I won't work with them because um, I'm not I'm not able to give them as much value as I would like to. Um, by the same token, I will say, you know, I'm I'm looking to at least give them 10x, you know, 10 times the value. So that's why, you know, the um, the you know the 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 the, the coaching program um, is is a $15,000 program, as I said. But it's designed to really give the business owner at least a 10x, if not a 20x increase in value, um, if that's what they choose to do. So, so that's what that's what's firing me up. That's my motivation to really help. You know, at least 895 business owners maximize the value of their company, so that that value doesn't just get lost. It, it stays in society. It helps other businesses. Um, and it really does good for people. So, so that's my that's my drive. That's my vision, and that's what I want to do. Um, so, I hope that gives you a, an, an understanding of you know what fires me up and why I'm so passionate about this. Yes, yes, David, I I fully understand it. I have a huge respect. I had a huge respect for you earlier. Now it has you know I don't know how to put it, but I can understand your pain. I can also understand the mission. And I can also understand your feeling because you have always been fighting for others. And this is another way of giving back to the people you have worked with, giving back to the society, to businesses. And there cannot be anything more noble and more inspiring than this particular story. And from my part, I'm honored. I'm myself inspired to be a part of this whole process, whole thing that we are doing. Now, asking one more question about this uh, David, can you tell us more about this program, what it is about, how people can, you know, join into it? What are the details? Okay, so um, what we would what we would look at is if if a business was was interested in the program, um, not every business is eligible. Obviously, I want to make sure that I can give them the, the real value that they deserve. So we would do a discovery call with the client. Um, and we would say, yeah, you know, your business really is is ideally suited. So, you know, they, they must be doing at least a million dollars a year in revenue to for, for me to be able to help them turn around and change course. Um, we need to make sure that the business owner is truly committed, um, you know, because, as I say, I, I cannot guarantee that the business owner will get the high value exit. That's up to them. But I can promise that by the end of the program, they know exactly what they need to do to get there and they have a very clear roadmap. So they're much more confident in the future and how they do it. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's, there's, um, there's, there's the fee, you know, and, and we charge that because, you know, if, if somebody is paying $200 for a, for a program, they're not committed. You know, um, if somebody pays, you know, even $500, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking a business owner who's a very busy, very busy person to give me eight weeks, you know, at least two hours a week, a minimum of two hours a week for eight weeks. So they need to have some skin in the game. That's why we have the price point where it is. But obviously within that, we want to, we want as many people as possible to benefit from the program. So, 
um, you know, this is this is where we come in. And actually, I think you know, you from what you and I were discussing earlier, uh, you want to help businesses in this way. So you know, it might, now might be a good time to, to talk about what you can do to, to as well. Right, right. So, uh, can you tell us uh, how exactly people can participate, and if there is a better ways or a you know more uh, comfortable way to join the program? Okay. Well, if they wanted to, if they wanted to um, come to me, obviously my email is is at the end of the presentation. They can just email me. We can set that discovery call up. And as I say, that the, the program fee is fifteen thousand dollars or fourteen nine ninety seven. Um, but as we've discussed, you know, you're you're also passionate about this. You're motivated to help business owners as well, especially the people who are listening to your podcast. So, you know, from from our discussion, you, you know, you're very generously going to be sponsoring three people. So, yeah. you know, you you are um, you are going to give a five thousand dollar sponsorship to the first three people who who apply to you. So, in this case, they would need to apply to you directly. Because you, you know, you are the one who is going to make sure that they, you know, they meet the criteria. We don't want to sponsor somebody that wouldn't then get through into the program. So they would have to contact you directly. But you know, from our discussions, the first three people who would like to go through the the value maximizer program, um, if they connect you and uh, you know you you feel that they're a good fit, you are going to pay the first five thousand dollars of their of their um, uh, course fees. To allow them to join the program, so I mean that's a hugely generous, uh, generous sponsorship offer on your part, uh, and I think it's just you know it, it's a great, a great demonstration of you know how the you know the KAJ masterclass really is committed to helping business owners and helping people do the absolute you know get the absolute best out of their life, um, and and that helps me help them as well. So you know I, I'm very very grateful and uh, very very pleased that the fact that you've made that generous offer. And I would encourage anybody that listens to this, you know, don't waste time. Contact AJ, um, apply for the sponsorship. And uh, if, you know, if it's a good fit for you, if we think, you know, you would get the benefit, I'd be happy to, to get you loaded on a program and get that discovery call up and running. Thank you, David. Thank you for this. And I would be very honored to, you know, help in my way to whatever ways I can. And especially with addition of this huge, you know, uh, uh, you can encouragement from your side. I would be happy to bring this particular program to the Indian audience. Now, going on to the topic of today's discussion, you know, Texas Engineering and Technology Network, you have been putting a lot of emphasis on Texas. Maybe one of the reasons is you are yourself based in the Texas area. But for the larger people who would have interest in, you know, spend, uh, spending money out in the USA and be a part of this $35 trillion opportunity, why Texas? Okay, um, why Texas? Well, it's a great place. <laughs> I mean, this it's just Texas. You know, what what else can I say? I should have actually worn my cowboy hat. Um, in in future, I'll uh, I'll make sure I bring my cowboy hat. But uh, no, there's there's a real there's a real frontier optimism in Texas. Um, I've I've got a few slides with some details, but but just that the attitude, the character, uh, the people here are still very you know very open, very friendly. Um, and it's that whole frontier mindset. We're out here building something. And that attitude has permeated through the whole of Texas. I mean, Texas is a, is a huge state. Um, you know, when you when you overlay Texas on the map of Europe, it covers something like two thirds of the land area of Europe. You know, it's a, it's a huge state. Um, and it's actually 
um, the, the, the Texas economy is the ninth largest economy on the planet. So if you come, if you compare Texas to all the other countries in the world, Texas is coming in. This was, these were 2019 figures, I think, maybe 2020. But the Texas economy is just under $2 trillion a year, which positions it at number nine in the global economy. And since then, there's a huge influx of technology, a huge influx of new startups. Texas is a very, very business-friendly um, state. Uh, the governor is really pushing to make it business-friendly. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. So just to give you an idea, um, 28.7 million people, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a country size in its own right. Gross, um, gross uh, domestic product, gross state product, almost $2 billion. Now, as I say, these are 2019 figures. So I'm pretty sure it's over the over 2 billion now. Uh, medium household income is $62,000. So it's not the highest, but it's certainly people are not living on the poverty line. You know, it's a nice middle of the road uh, wage. Cost of doing business, 10% less than the national average. So Texas is very pro-business. You know, the, the Texas, uh, Texas government really wants to bring businesses in here. College attainment, 29.6. That's low, um, but it's uh, it, a lot of it is because we get a lot of migrant workers and we get a lot of people that, that have never had the opportunity to go to college. But there's also, you know, there are, there are several different universities here. There is a lot of influx of technology. And because we've got so much space, it's very easy to absorb all these extra people coming in. I mean, SpaceX built their, uh, they built their um, rocket fabrication facility in Waco. They've built their launch facility down in Brownsville. Um, you've got a lot of the tech companies, many, many tech companies that are now leaving California and moving into Texas to make Texas. Austin is becoming, you know, probably will be soon, the tech capital of the US. So there's this huge influx of technology and these centers of, you know, high tech, SpaceX, uh, Biomed is very big, um, and also uh, additive manufacturing, this huge amount of, of leading edge technology. Now, migration, as I said, 200,000 people in 2018. I think it's over 300, maybe 350,000 people a year migrating into Texas, bringing in this technology, bringing in the skill sets that we need for Texas to become soon the economic powerhouse of the US. Very low unemployment rate, 3.5%, AAA bond rating, and you know, Governor Greg Abbott's very popular. Um, it's probably in line to be re-elected. So you've got stability of government. So all of these things are, are really good indicators for, for a, especially somebody, a, a, an overseas national who wants to invest in the US. Texas is a great place because it's, it's stable and they know that they're, they're going to get, uh, get fair and good treatment and the opportunities for success are absolutely huge. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other things just to look at it. I mean, this is off the, uh, this is off one of the Texas websites. It's the number one state for corporate expansion location. I think we have 10% of the Fortune 100 uh, headquarters now in, in, in Texas. It's got the fastest growing state economies. So of all the states, this is 2022 figures, I think, or 2020. It's the fastest growing economy on a state-by-state -state basis in the US. Um, according to the Chief Executive magazine, it's considered the number one best state for businesses. Um, it's considered to be the number one best state to start a new business. But also, once you've got your business, you've got to get your products. If you're into manufacturing, if you're into products, you need to get that business to get those products out. 
Texas is also the number one state for exports, okay? And it's the number one state for growth. We are, as I said, Texas is a huge landmass. There is massive opportunity for growth. The cost of putting up uh, facilities and factories is low compared to a lot of the states where the, the land pressure is much higher. So it's, it's got everything going for it, for a, an investor who wanted to either buy an existing business and optimize it and then do a roll-up, or for somebody who wants to come in and you know, start a completely greenfield business, Texas has got a huge amount of uh, support for those sorts of projects. These are, the, these are the top six areas where Texas excels. So corporate services. Now, again, for an, for an Indian investor, uh, we spoke about labor arbitrage in one of the previous episodes. Okay. Yes, this would yes. be a, uh, so corporate services and information technology would be two really sweet spots for Indian investors to set up a Texas business and then optimize that business and, and benefit from labor arbitrage. So those would be huge opportunities. Um, biotech and life sciences, as I said, most of the universities have you know, very successful uh, biotech um, uh, research. And I think the uh, the medical center in Houston is the biggest uh, the biggest one in the country with the, you know several leading you know leading national holiday, uh, hospitals there. Advanced manufacturing um, all over Houston, all over Texas, there are companies looking at 3D printing, uh, advanced manufacturing techniques. Uh, there's a push by the U.S. government to to repatriate manufacturing back to the U.S. and 3D printing and, and AM is is where we're where we're really driving to, uh, you know, to, to bring that manufacturing back to the US. And then aerospace, aviation, defense, obviously Texas is, is, is always been big in all of those. Um, and finally energy, you know, Houston is the energy, uh, the energy capital of the world. It's not renowned for that. You know, the Texas oil boom is, is what made us who we are. Um, and that's still a very big play. I mean, you know, there are issues with, you know, with what's going on politically. But energy is still the bedrock of, uh, you know, of Texas, and it and that fires up all of these other industries. So, um, you know, the, the website there I put on the bottom, businessintexas.com, plenty mm -hmm. of information for anybody interested in coming to Texas, and uh, you know, huge opportunity for um, for a business to to either do a roll up and really optimize and maximize value, or to be a greenfield startup and to really come in and and you know benefit from this booming economy. And then the final thing is if you know if people are going to be moving to Texas, uh, whether you're coming from India or from another state, California, New York, wherever, you know, we're getting a lot of migration into Texas. The cost of living in Texas is 7% lower than the rest of the US. The average in, you know, looking at the average in the US, where uh, overall is 93.9 compared to the US. Cost of groceries is about the same 93%. Cost of healthcare, as I said, we have the huge medical complexes. Cost of housing, 84%. You know, that's, uh, you know, a lot of, Florida is another hot state, another hot economy. Um, again, the governor there is very, very pro-business. He's very, very supportive of the business community. But the problem Florida's got is it's a much smaller state. It's surrounded by water. Um, and so the, the cost of housing and the cost of moving to Florida is much much higher. I think somebody was telling me the cost of the cost of condos and apartments in Florida is almost getting to New York levels now because there's so much inward migration. So you know, if you're starting a business and you want to bring in employees, bring them to a place where their where their money goes farther. You know, they're they're happy with that. And then you know, utilities um, about the same as the the rest of the country. Transportation's a bit higher. Um, 
I saw an interesting picture the other day. Um, you know, if, some, if somebody's in Houston says, oh, you're just the other side of town, that's a two hour drive. Um, <laughs> that's, what, that's the downside, you know. I actually saw this picture that said they, they showed a map of Houston and said, if anybody says, oh, you're just the other side of town, don't expect to see them for half a day because if you overlay the state of Connecticut, it actually fits inside Greater Houston. So, you know, that's just to give you an idea of the, of the scale. If I said to you, hey, you know, I'm going to have to cross the state of Connecticut, that's not a 20 minute journey. If I say I've got to cross the, the city of Houston, that's a, two hour, that's a two hour drive. So, you know, that's the one thing, you know, Texas is a big place, that, a lot of that's in our advantage, but it does mean the cost of transportation is a bit higher. So, so that's, that's really all I had to say on Texas, but it's, it's, a, it's a hot economy. Um, there's a huge amount going on. And for any investor, anybody interested in uh, helping existing business owners maximize the value of their business, buying businesses to do a roll up to create a consortium that you can really leverage, um, getting into Texas is, uh, is the way to do it. You know, and I'm more than happy if anybody's got any questions about how to set up in Texas, I'm more than happy to connect them to my network. In fact, I'm running a network on LinkedIn called the, uh, the Texas Engineering and Technology Network. And the whole aim of that is to help Texas-based businesses maximize their, uh, you know, maximize their business opportunity, maximize their uh, profits and their scalability uh, with an eye to, uh, to being very attractive to foreign investors that want to come in and participate in this booming economy. Right, right. So, David, you talk about engineering and technology. Why engineering and technology uh, as a go-to sectors? I think because of the growth potential. Um, certainly, if you look at what's going on in the world, um, you know, old manufacturing. I mean, it's still going on, but with especially with additive manufacturing. I, you know, I'm I'm so excited about what what can happen to our society. And if you know, if you had again thinking about the Indian investor. If you had somebody coming in to um, to uh, to Texas, uh, investing in a in a manufacturing company, I mean, I heard recently they're now they're now building 3D printing machines that are integrated with CNC machines, so you can actually print the uh, print the substrate or print the product and mill it to mill it to final fit all on one all on one platform. Um, and another guy I'm talking to who's very close to a lot of the you know, leading edge R&D was saying that in one of the research labs, they're actually looking at 3D printing a drone um, that will be able to actually fly off the print bed. 3D printing of a drone? That, can then, that will then, you don't need to pick, pick it up, it will be done. Um, one of the companies I'm working with actually has um, what we call exotic filament. So they now have filament where you can print the electronic circuit board directly onto the 3D print. So you don't need to put in extra circuits. It's all printed, it's all integrated. There's no risk of a circuit board vibrating free. There's no risk of it delaminating. So now when you bring the, you know, when you bring plastic and metal and electronics all into a single print environment, you can print whatever you want. As I say, there's, there's a project, um, I, I don't know, I, mean, I probably need to, to loop back and see where it's going. But the intent of the project is to see if they can print a drone um, and have it fly straight off the print bed. Now, if they can do that, that's huge. I mean, we're getting, you know, when you can do that, you're almost getting to the Star Trek. If you remember the old Star Trek, you know, when Captain Picard would go to the, go to the machine and said, uh, T, oh, gray, hot. 
and a cup of tea would appear in front of him. You know, 3D, 3D printing, additive manufacturing is taking us on that journey. Um, so, you know, you think about you think about hazardous environments. So you think about remote locations. If you've got uh, sensitive equipment, you wouldn't need to carry all the spares. You would just need to have a 3D printer with the right material. Say, so, oh, that you know that piece broke. We'll print up a replacement, and you can just do that uh, time and time again. So, so that's the whole. Uh, that's really what excites me um, about what's going on. But especially Texas, because we have the resources, we have the space, we have the infrastructure. And you know, manufacturing is going to be a huge, a uh, huge um, boom um, industry, which is why I'm really uh, focusing on engineering. I mean, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, one of the other things, you know, again, probably going back to my sense of injustice, you know, when you look at when you look at British engineering, you know, the great Scottish engineers Brunel and uh, Stevenson and you know Watt and all those people that that, that created the Industrial Revolution. Um, but they, they never really benefited from it. And you, you know, we, we, you know, we, we cite Tesla, Nikolai Tesla. You know, he was, right. I would argue, possibly the, the world's greatest technical genius, maybe the world's greatest ever engineer, but he died in poverty. You know, right. Um, right. You that's at, a sad uh, story. You know, and it's, it's tragic. It, and, and I say that's, that's really what, it, it gets my sense of injustice fired up, that all these engineers working so hard never get the money they deserve because they just that they either don't have the skills or they don't know how to deal with the finance people or they've left themselves vulnerable contractually whatever it is and it just it just piques my my sense of injustice which is why i want to help engineering companies get the value that they really deserve for doing what they're doing well i get it david i fully get it not talking about you know uh, about the value chain owning the value chain in all this uh, can you tell us about that? Sure. So um, now this this would be you know this would be um, a more advanced technique. So if you remember, we talked about the uh, optimizing the business, maximizing the business value. Right. The final stage, um, and as I showed last week, you know we can get to 10x value purely by internal optimization. But to get beyond that, you then need to be taking the bigger decisions. This is where you're looking at M and A growth, and so. If you had the ability to help a business uh, grow and, and succeed, there are two places where you would want to help them. Firstly, your, your customers. If you can help a customer become more successful, they're going to buy more of your product, okay? Which means your business is gonna grow and succeed. So, so looking at the value chain, so one option would say, okay, that customer has got, you know, they've got a they've got a good product, but they're not optimizing it. So one option would be to buy the customer, optimize them. So that increases their growth, that increases their requirement to buy your core product or service, which means you've now got two profit centers. You've got the profit that this customer's making because you can help them, you can help them sell more, and you've got more profit in your core business because they're buying more of your supporting product. Looking in the other direction, if you have a supplier, uh, and there's two reasons you would probably want to, to, um, to buy your supplier. Firstly, if you think they're vulnerable, so if they're a critical supplier, one of the things we always recommend and one of the things we analyze is never ever get more than 40% concentration in any product or sector, and ideally never have more than 10% revenue from any single client. Um, because if, if you're over-concentrated, and then that sector stumbles, 
you, you know, you're in trouble. So maximum 40% concentration in any product or niche and maximum of 10% revenue from any single client source. Otherwise you bring in vulnerability. And when the business is assessed, that vulnerability will, will take off from the potential value. So if you have a supplier who you think, okay, they're good, they're a critical supplier for me, um, but you know, I don't like the way they've been managed or that they're, you know, they're, they're a risk for me, buy your supplier. Again, it does two things. Now it creates another profit center for you, but you can then be sure that that supplier is not going to trip over and put you into trouble because you then lose a critical supplier. So looking at your value chain, look at the suppliers and look at your customers and see where it makes sense. So help your customers be more successful because they're going to buy more from you and help your suppliers um, be more efficient because then that, that it gives could potentially protect your supply chain but also gives you more more value um, in your you know in your consortium. So that that's what we talk about, you know, um, optimizing right. the value. Right. You are also very positive about you know SaaS uh, uh, software as a service uh, industry so <laughs> sector. So can you tell us about uh, why you are so positive and what exactly you want others to see in that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you want to really get to the sort of nosebleed valuations, let's look at our engineering. Remember the, the engineering company we talked about, $2 million of revenue, 15% margin. So they're doing um, $300,000 a year. Um, currently, you know, as I said last week with the, the multiplier was 12.6. That, um, that gives them $3.6, $3.7 million of value. And we showed how going through the various optimization, we could bring them up to about $9 million, which is a 10x improvement. Now, if you take a SaaS company, the multipliers for SaaS companies, instead of being 12.6, are in the 30 to 35 range. Okay. So let's say you have a, two, a SaaS company that's doing $2 million of annual recurring revenue. And when we do the optimization process, they're no longer 12.6, they're 30, uh, you know, let's say they're 30 to keep the math simple. So $2 million of revenue, a 30x multiplier, but here's where it gets really nice. The margin for an engineering company, 15 to 20 cent would be very commendable, okay? Right. The margins for a SaaS company, we're looking at higher than 80%. So now if you have a SaaS company, or better still, if in your engineering company, you have a software product that you have created to support your business, but you could then offer that as a SaaS service to other engineering companies, here's where it gets very sexy. Let's say you took that product, it was a cost center to you, you're not making any revenue from it, but you can position it as a SaaS product for other companies to use. So let's say that you only got a million dollars worth of revenue from that SaaS product your margin is going to be better than 80%, or at least it should be. So 80% margin on a million-dollar product is $800,000. With a 30x multiplier, that is $24 million of business value just from that SaaS product. And if you remember, when we went through the, when we went through the evaluation exercise for the, for the whole engineering company, after all the internal optimization, we got to about $10 million worth of value. But if we take, if we have a, if we have a software product that we can then offer to the marketplace as a SaaS platform, we can actually triple the value of the business. So the the um, 
the, the business itself was worth $9 million. Taking out, the, taking out the software tool, turn it into a SaaS product, and having that as a separate offering gives us an extra $24 million worth of value. That's how powerful, and that's, that's one of the strategies when you look at, and as I said, we, we, we teach that you should be over the business, looking in at um, not the business as a, as, an, as a single entity, but as a series of cost and profit centers all working together. And then when you work over the business, you're, how can I turn a cost center to a profit center? And how can I maximize the value of every one of these single elements in the business? And doing a SaaS spin-off is a hugely profitable way of, of using that strategy. Perfect. That that makes uh, I'm sure a lot of people will see sense in that and look towards you know engaging with you. Now the last question that I have, David, is uh, how do you start from a scratch from a com company points of from a company's point of view? They would want to understand how do we set up in Texas? How do they start? What do you do? How do they begin? Where do they begin? Well, I mean, the, the first thing is to is to to know the land, to, to understand what you're doing. I mean, it doesn't cost much. I mean, you know, the, the lawyers that I use, they can they can set up a foreign-owned corporation for less than three thousand dollars. So it's not expensive to create the legal entity. Um, you know, what's more important is you do the groundwork about you know know what business you want to be in, know what you want to deliver, um, and then you know I'm here and I've got a, a whole team of people that can help them. You know, one of the things that you and I talked about was possibly putting on an investors tour to you know, take people around Texas and show them the major cities, show them the opportunities so they understand the opportunity and then they can decide whether they want to uh, whether they want to invest and then look at businesses to buy and start that process. So those are all options for people who are looking at investing in Texas that, you know, that can be arranged for. them. OK, OK. And how, how do they contact you just for the sake of the Indian audience? The, the, the usual routine, um, my LinkedIn profile, I'm very active on LinkedIn, or the email, david at steampowered consulting, will always get to me. Um, and I'll be happy to have a conversation with anybody that wants to talk. Great, David. Great. I think you have explained it in such a nice detail and given a lot of information about not just Texas, but also about uh, different sectors that could be hugely lucrative for a lot of people here. With this, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you very much, David.